0: You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris.
1: I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. Recently, I've been seeing a lot of online arguing between horror fans regarding what is or what isn't a horror film, about whether or not a film is truly a horror movie or just a thriller or dark drama or fantasy. There are those who harumph and sniff about Silence of the Lambs being a thriller. Why? Because there is nothing supernatural about it? Because there are no vampires, ghosts, radioactive monsters, or body-morphing monsters? How about Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer? How about the father of the slasher movie, Psycho? Not a horror film, a thriller. I say nonsense. I'm not sure why everything needs to be placed into a specific box. To me, some of the most terrifying and horrific books and movies I've consumed are set more in the real world than one inhabited by the supernatural. And some of the most exciting are the ones that mix genres. Stand By Me, based on Stephen King's novella The Body and directed by Rob Reiner, is a heartbreaking drama with a horrific event. The discovery of a dead body by a group of 12-year-old boys is chilling and true and expresses a melancholy that is based on the souls of its characters. Alien is a science fiction film, but it's also a horror movie, a monster movie at that. Horror chauvinism might make sense to a studio trying to market its film to a specific audience, but to try and limit what is or isn't a horror movie just seems childish and whiny. Let the creators of dark stories set their own limits, control their own boundaries. The storytellers with vivid and expansive imaginations need not be harnessed by the whims of the fans. It's tough enough dealing with the development process on the business end of things. We're all in this together as fans of scary stories. Let's encourage the crossbreeding of genre and hope it leads to new and scarier heights in telling tales. Our guest on this episode, Chelsea Stardust, has mixed horror and comedy, a very difficult balance to achieve, in her new movie, Satanic Panic, to great effect. We'll get her on the slab to see what makes her tick after this. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been 40 years now, and Fangoria is better than ever, each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com to learn more and to, well, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15% off your subscription. That's Fangoria.com, promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15%. sacrifices must be made. Fangoria's newest movie, Satanic Panic, starring Rebecca Romine and Jerry O'Connell, is now available on video on demand. Sam, a pizza delivery girl at the end of her financial rope, has to fight for her life and her tips when her last order of the night turns out to be high society Satanists in need of a virgin sacrifice. Directed by Chelsea Stardust and written by Grady Hendrix, birth, movies, death, calls Satanic Panic, an absolutely entertaining horror film that will satisfy any viewer's need for monsters and mayhem. See it now on VOD.
0: And speaking of panic, Joe Russo here to tell you about Manic Panic. Because everyone knows I am the post-mortem producer with the best head of hair. You should know that Manic Panic has been turning heads since 1977 with over 40 semi-permanent hair color shades ranging from After Midnight Blue to Vampire Red. Their hair colors have appeared in films including Alone in the Dark, Ultraviolet, Suicide Squad, and Vox Lux. The original alternative beauty company Manic Panic Cosmetics includes products you've been dying for including their Goth White Foundation and Virgin White Press Powder. Check them out online at ManicPanic.com and take 20% off your order through December 31st, 2019 with the discount code FANGO. That's ManicPanic.com, discount code F-A-N-G-O.
1: So, tell me about the transformation from Chelsea Peters to Chelsea Stardust.
2: Oh, that's a great question.
1: <laughs> Good to start with.
2: Yeah, yeah, um... So I want to, I think that came from, it originally came from my parents. Both my parents are artists and cinephiles. And when I was about to start directing sort of full time or dive back into it after being an assistant for so long, I was talking to my parents about um, changing my name or using a stage name. And part of it was, I, I, I asked them, like, if I make like weird, movies do you think i should use a stage name to like help like protect you guys or and they're like no 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 we think you should do it cuz it's it's fun and it's awesome and like uh, tons we're of we're proud of you yeah. yeah yeah we're yeah we're proud of you and so we were kind of brainstorming names and i david bowie is a huge influence of obviously uh, Another
1: rock star I interviewed back in my rock journalism days. Exactly.
2: And I loved the idea of um, Bowie was always transforming and changing and never afraid of change and was always embracing that. And that's something I really uh, loved and admired. And so he was always looking forward and never looking back. And I thought that was really cool and uh obviously from dust we come from dust we to return there was a lot of reasons i liked stardust and my mom we were when we were brainstorming she brought it up as well and she's like oh, so you, you know you love Z- you know ziggy stardust you love bowie you know what about that and i thought well no one's going to forget that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i said okay that's what i'm going to do and um it was also something where i felt since uh you know in my first movie there was a moment where i wasn't feeling heard And, you know, so I thought, okay, Chelsea Stardust, and how do I take it one step further? I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to dye my hair. I need to show everyone that I'm here Hmm. and want to be heard and seen. Um, And so they sort of come the hair and the name sort of come hand in hand now. Ah, Um, Yeah, and I just, there were so many, you know, uh, artists that also do that. And it also keeps your you know, personal and professional. You're sort of two separate entities in a way, too. Not
1: secret identity. No, no, no. But separate identity. Yeah. So it's like
2: this one's the ego and this one's the id sort of thing in a a weird way. Yeah. Well, you talk
1: about not being heard. Why do you think uh, you were not being heard and in what way? And this Uh, is as a director on a film set, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Um, There were just like little, There were some little, I say little, but things that were going wrong um, on set. And I, and I just felt like, why this should not be happening. Like, Can you give me an example? What is going on? Oh yeah. For example, um, we got flipped the first day of sh- like, uh, let's see the f- day before the first day of shooting. Um, and, and this just, is all that we destroy. Yeah. This is all that we destroy. And yeah. then we also had a location permit get fucked up. And, uh, we got shut down like with six hours left to our day. And this was all in the first like couple days of shooting. Wow. And that was a 15 day shoot. Wow. So I basically had to like send out an SOS to um Blumhouse because they you know weren't aware right when this happened and uh with the location permit. And they said, Okay, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, whatever you need. Cause I said, you know, this is happening. It was just like some producerial things that were going wrong. And, uh, sure enough, there were no more problems with, the, with it after right. that. But it was for me to just show that I I'm here. I am present. I don't want anyone to make a mistake. I also had someone come up to me, um, and ask, it was a day player and asked me if, uh, they're like, Hey, are you, so you're working on this movie. Are you wardrobe? Or are you hair and makeup? Oh. And I was like, no, I'm the director.
1: Do you think this is a, a, a gender issue?
2: <laughs> that maybe, it could be. Yeah. Um, but then I thought, I need to do something a little drastic. And uh-huh. so then, you know, there's no way to miss me now, obviously. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Purple hair, which you can't yes. see on our podcast. But yes. <laughs> anyway. Well, it's interesting that you are the daughter of artists. And did both your parents make their livings as artists?
2: Uh, yeah, so my both my parents are fine artists. So my dad is a painter and my mom is a sculptor. And my mom was also an art teacher, a high school art teacher. Oh, wow. So she was sort of the, the breadwinner. Is this in Cleveland? Yes. And yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In, in Northeast Ohio and middle of nowhere, like very rural. Mm. Um, I grew up in Amish country. So we were not Amish, but that's where we And I grew up on a farm. And we had, um, instead of like cows and pigs and chickens and things, uh, we had sled dogs because I raised sled dogs until I was. 16, 17, until I went to college.
1: Okay, let's not pass that by too quickly. <laughs> uh, let's come back to that, but keep yeah. going about the...
2: Yeah, so um, they, because, you know, and, and then my dad was a painter full-time, um, and I grew up around the art world. So we were going to New York City every year and going to the Chelsea Arts District. I'm named after that, and ah. Jane Fonda on Golden Pond um, nice. is where my name comes from. Uh so I just spent so much time in and we do family vacations and we were always always going to art galleries like all over the United States. So art is in my blood. And um my dad went to undergrad film went to undergrad school with David Lynch. So he went to the Pennsylvania oh. Academy and I think David was the, uh, a year ahead of him, but they were, you know, interacting and uh so he, since he was taking film courses as a minor uh, he was shooting on 16 millimeter, and so I grew up watching his, you know, student films.
1: Was his fil- film work also like Lynch's avant-garde?
2: Oh yeah, it was, it was very. Uh, so it was not standard no- narrative and- no, 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 no. films. Nothing yeah. like that. And so was when I basically when I was born, my parents were like, we should have a video camera. We should like mm. make sure, like you know, cause, and I was an only child. They knew they only wanted one kid, so they're like, let's just you know have a video camera around. So. That eventually inspired me to pick up the camera, and I was, you know, making home movies with my menagerie of animals, (laughs) decided to keep myself entertained as an only child, so, uh, and then that ended up leading me down the path of making movies until L.A.
1: Right, so, do you paint?
2: I do not. I have no fine art skills whatsoever. My parents have all that. (laughs) Well, it's interesting.
1: My father was also an art student, but he never was able to make his living doing that Mm -hmm. and basically bailed out on it in order to raise his family and continue. But it was always a part of our lives, but a distant part of our lives. So with you, it was all around you
3: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: and
1: inescapable so and the fact that your father was a film student did was that what led to you becoming a film student you actually went to film school as well
2: yeah i think because because he did that both since you know they weren't surprised i wanted to go into the arts and right. i was obsessed with movies and both my parents are sort of cinephiles so you know we would be renting stacks of movies from the library every friday night and for the weekend and, yeah, I think, and also seeing his student films, I was like oh i want to I want to do that," and right. uh, it almost felt like f- filmmaking feels like the ultimate form of expression, so uh, i I think I just gravitated towards it naturally.
1: What about the filmmaking process appealed to you the most? It is such an ultimate. <laughs> collaboration of every different art form there is. What were the particulars of it? Was it the storytelling? Was it the imagery? Was it the just the sense of atmosphere? What was it that drew you?
2: I think it's all of those things combined that I, you know, I loved. And because I was I think it's also because I had an obsession with movies growing up. And I made a point to even from from as long as I can remember, when I would watch a movie I'd sort of pay attention. Like if I'd watch a Tim Burton movie, I would sort of notice that he was working with the same people. I was like, oh, Danny Elfman scoring. Mm-hmm. Oh, Colleen Atwood's doing costumes. And I was keeping track of like what directors were working with, what producers and what writers and that there were all these people because a lot of times when people talk about a movie, it's they're always talking about the director and sometimes the writer. Mm-hmm. But it's it takes so many people to get a movie made. And, and then so I was like, oh, I like this director's work. Well, I'm also going to watch this person's work and this person's work. And um, in the fine art world, it was sort of like who inspires who. So like Joseph boys was inspired, Anselm Kiefer. And so that made me, you know, look at this person's work and that person's work. So I was sort of seeing who is inspiring who. Um, and I'm a huge Hitchcock fan. That's sort mm-hmm. of what started that Night of the Living Dead and the Universal Monster movies started my love of, of horror. and my So first you were hat,
1: drawn to the genre was, early Oh, on. yeah, yeah, early and is on. That, has that always been... Where you want it to be?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, my parents were always obsessed with Halloween, so oh. yeah. So I think that's the sort movie of, or the holiday, the holiday, <laughs> yes. the holiday. Okay. Yeah, I should specify the ho- yeah. the holiday. And they would throw a huge party every year with all their artist's friends, and um, and so it's sort of. I think it started with that, and like horror literature, like scary stories, to tell in the dark, and uh-huh. Goosebumps, and binicula and like those kind of books, and the cartoons. Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, mm-hmm. Sleepy Hollow, um, and and also because I was lived in the middle of nowhere, I couldn't trick or treat, so I never experienced that. Because like we're all like one of three houses of electricity, it's all Amish around us, and they wow. don't celebrate Halloween. So my parents like would I'd write a letter to the Great Pumpkin, and on Halloween there'd be jack o' lanterns that my dad had carved that would lead down to our pumpkin patch because we had an organic garden, wow. and then. The Great Pumpkin would, like, leave me all these, like, treats and toys and stuff. <laughs> They're like, we have to figure out something to do. She can't trick or treat, which all her, like, friends are doing in school. Now, because um, of
1: where you were living and the rural nature of mm-hmm. it and the Amish nature of it, did you have friends nearby? Mm-hmm. Did you have friends in school? Because you couldn't recruit brothers and sisters you didn't <laughs> yeah. have. So who was making your little movies with you?
2: Um, <laughs> my uh, my my pets were making the movies with me. I was, (laughs) I would like dress up my dogs and my cats and direct (laughs) them and boss them around. Um, but also friends, uh, and my friends in high school, um, and middle school, you know, I would, we, we basically started asking my teachers, Hey, instead of turning in a paper, can I turn in a movie? Mm. And they're like, Oh, you're gonna, you want to shoot a movie? I said, yeah, can I just do a short film instead of writing this report? And they're like, okay and this is like a teeny tiny public school and uh where we my graduating class was like 70 people and so they said yeah go ahead and so that became what they expected when that that you know they're like oh you're gonna do a movie instead of turning we get it okay i had the same
1: experience in high school doing that where everybody was writing a paper and i had an eight millimeter camera and said i'll do a documentary about this yes and uh, it was like well in that those days in particular nobody did that right yeah, but yeah. It, that's an automatic A. You exactly. Know? <laughs> right? That's what, yeah.
2: yeah. So I was like, and then I was, you know, editing on, because um, this was high school, so iMovie had just come out, like the really early version of it. Mm. Um, And my dad also encouraged me to shoot on Super 8. So I had really? a Super 8 camera. I took uh, a class at the Cleveland Institute of Art while I was still in high school um, with this experimental filmmaker named Robert Banks who right. loved horror movies and like mm. further, like continued my education on it. But... We would shoot stuff on Super 8 and we were doing a lot of like dyeing the film and writing on it with Sharpies and making it as weird and experimental as we could. And then we had to cut and splice it all. In a
1: very low tech sense. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So it was already a digital world but you weren't quite moving in there yet.
2: Yeah. No. And even in college I you know chose to shoot my senior thesis on on Super 16 color film instead mm-hmm. of uh, digital. So you went
1: widescreen?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So instead of like I'd rather do that and they're like oh you can use our you know at that time you know the 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 new video cameras the digital
1: lab yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah i was like no nope, i want to shoot on film um and uh yeah but it was just just stems from an obsession probably just from my my parents showing me all these movies and so that the, part the, of my world. the
1: appeal of the dark um and the outre mm-hmm. uh was often that Comes from a sense of being an outsider or being lonely, but it sounds to me like it was also encouraged by parents who loved that as well, and by Robert Banks and Mm -hmm. other influences that you had in film school. Was that the case? Were you a a happy child who brought up by a family of supportive parents in a world unto yourselves? Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah. They encouraged make believe, and they you know all that stuff. They were. Um, So
1: it wasn't out of alienation then. This was something, the opposite of what draws most people to the dark side.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, I will say that that I, like, middle school and high school was like a a horrible experience for me.
1: That's good. It's good for you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: Like, I was just picked on all the time and got gum put in my hair and pushed into lockers and called horrible names. So you
1: were Carrie White. Yeah.
2: And I'll tell you what, when I saw Carrie, and I read the book and saw Carrie, and I was like, Fuck! I would do anything for these powers. What do I like? um, And give me a bucket of pig's blood. Yeah, and I was like, uh, but now all those friends, now all those people, want to be Facebook friends with me. Anyways, (laughs) um, but uh, but that was something I was used to, and I had my close friends who were also obsessed with with horror movies, and we were sneaking movies at, you know, sleep. I didn't watch get to watch everything at my house. I had to sneak some of the R-rated stuff at my friend Sadie's house because her her parents like were a little more lenient, but. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was like this genre is amazing. I like so I was just obsessed with it for so, so long.
1: We all come to uh our careers through different paths. For me, my first real movie job was answering phones for the original Star Wars. Yeah. And for you, it was also in an assistant role, but it didn't start in the horror world. Mm-mm. It started in the comedy world. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how that came to be.
2: Yeah, so between like my junior and senior year of college, I had an internship out here for Heyday Films, and they were in the middle of making all the Harry Potter movies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I did that summer internship, and then I went back. and Well, they said, "Are you interested in paing on a Harry Potter movie? Like, would that interest you?" I'm like, "Oh no, I got to go finish my senior thesis." Well, first, tell <laughs> us
1: about what that what that internship yeah was and what what your duties were.
2: Yeah, so. So Haiti is located at this, at this time, they were located on the WB lot Mm -hmm. and they were next to, I think Weed Road was below them, which is Akiva Goldsman, Goldsman's company. Mm -hmm. And then Christopher Nolan was down the hall and, and David Goyer, and they were sort of working on Batman. It was like the very early stages of Batman Begins. Um, And just teeny tiny little office. And I was just answering phones and writing coverage, and I was just trying to like listen and observe as much as I could. Um, And but you know, it was my first time. I hadn't done any coverage in college. No one taught that to me. And they sort of explained what it was, and I just tried to make a really good impression. Well, that's a
1: high responsibility, really, writing coverage on scripts, so that (laughs) nobody else needs to read the script unless you say you should read this. This is good.
2: Exactly. And it's like, is this? Is this how it works everywhere? I like, <laughs> that's a, that's a lot of pressure. I hope you know um, some. And some scripts were great, and some. And I had read a lot of scripts in college. We had a huge film library, um, and a lot of scripts on file. So, you know, and and it's basically writing a book report. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that, so I went back, finished my senior year, did my thesis film, um, and had just gotten back home from college.
1: What was that thesis film? Oh
2: yeah, <laughs> so it's called. Under the Bleachers, and it was sort of, at the time I made that movie, I was obsessed with, um, and I still am, but with John Waters, mm. um, and also I went through, like, a Harmony Corinne Larry Clark phase, like most right. college film students do, <laughs> so I wanted to make something really weird, and I was also, like, influenced by... All
1: of those had a very sexual nature, mm-hmm. too, yeah. and, and uh, that particularly seemed to appeal to people of repressed families, which yours was obviously no, not. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, uh, but also there was, you know, certain uh, Marcel, Marcel Duchamp was an influence for that mm-hmm. too. And so I wanted to do something really weird. A like college is a chance to do this, to do the right. film that you'd never get to make anywhere else. Um, and all, and you know, my film professor's like, wow, this is, this is out there. This is pretty wild. Um, and uh, so then after doing that, I get home, I'm home for like three days and I get a call from my old boss and uh, at from Heyday, and she says, "I've moved companies. Uh, my assistant's leaving. Are you still moving out here?"
3: Hmm.
2: I was like, "Yes, I'll be there in five days." So I bought a car, <laughs> I packed it up, unpacked from college, repacked for L.A., moved out here, and that was in 2007. And I immediately started working for her. And this is like an assistant at a production company, and she was at Montecito Picture Company, which is Ivy Reitman's Evan company. Reitman, yeah. Yep, Papa Reitman. I called him. Um, <laughs> And I had like, yes, I had my internship experience, but a lot of times the path you usually take before getting to a production company is working in a mailroom at an agency, getting on an agent's desk, you're there for a year or two, and then you get the production company job. No, I was like thrust into it. And we weren't like, just because of the film school I went to is very film production oriented. So we didn't really learn what CAA was, what UTA was, what uh, oh. WME was, who the heads of those places were, who was running WB, who was running Paramount, none of that. So I'm rolling calls. So it's when you you have your boss on the on the phone and you're just connecting them with people that are on their phone sheet and you stay on the line to listen in and take notes. She'd be like, call this person. I'm like, I don't know who that is. Hmm. And so I'd look up on we had Studio System that we'd look up people, you know, their name and their company to get their number. And but I was just luckily she was very kind and patient and trusted me. But I was just <laughs> learning so much so quickly. You were
1: overwhelmed.
2: So overwhelmed. Um, but I never let them know that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh that was a pretty rad first job. You know, I got to go to Ivan's estate in Montecito mm-hmm. and I very much felt like it was like a little family. Got to go to Super Bowl parties and his daughter's wedding and um and it was, you know, this is old school comedy, Ghostbusters, Animal House, Stripes. Right,
1: right. And so well, you were assisting the head of the company or the people running the company, not so much on the filmmaker end, were you on sets or you were in offices?
2: So we were primarily in the office because they were sort of between things. Um, however, before I finished my time there, um, they did a movie called Postgrad. Hmm. And uh, Vicki Jensen directed it. And it was my first like real, true set. Um, But the cast of this movie is incredible. It's Jane Lynch and Michael Keaton (laughs) and Carol Burnett uh, and Zach Guilford and Alexis Bledel. And so I remember being on set the first day and Michael Keaton was there. And I went up to him and I happened to have one of my friends I went to college with. Her mom went to high school with Michael Keaton. Hmm. So I was like, okay go up to him, but don't try not to talk about Mr. Mom and Beetlejuice <laughs> and Batman. Like, try, don't, don't just try to talk about something else. Queen but and Silver. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so I went up and I was like, yeah, my friend's mom went to high school at the end. Just like, what? She did? Oh, I need to reconnect with her. And so oh, and we ended up talking about, he said, where are you from? And I said, Ohio. And we started talking about sled dog racing, because we were talking about snow, the snow belt and things like that. So, um, but it was really cool. And he was so nice. And And then from, you know, being at a company that does old school comedy, I just happened to have a friend recommend me to be Judd Apatow's assistant right after that.
1: The biggest name in comedy at the time.
2: And uh, I'd been at Montecito for uh, just over a year and a half. And she said, are you interested in interviewing for this? I said, wow, I don't think I can turn down that opportunity. You always say yes. So um, I interviewed with Judd and he's like, yeah, come aboard okay. And so I was with Judd for two years as one of the assistants. That was during Funny People, right? Yeah, it was during um, Get Him to the Greek and Funny People and Bridesmaids. Oh, wow. Yeah. So those three, I was on set for all three. Um, And that was an intense job. I was one of four assistants or three, one of three assistants. Um, And uh, obviously, because so much was going on then. But, you know, I just, my heart wasn't in comedy. Like, I I love comedy, but It's not where I wanted to be. Well, before we move on from that,
1: you know, when I, my first job was, was, uh, working on Amazing Stories as a writer and story editor. Yeah. And I was on set with Steven Spielberg directing, Robert Zemeckis directing, Martin Scorsese directing A Script of Mine, Joe Dante directing A Script of Mine, Zemeckis and all, but What I learned on set is that you don't learn much about the filmmaking process on set. It takes place before, Mm -hmm. during, and after. And so much of it before. And the intimacies of what goes on between actor and director, if it's on set, it's usually in a corner off to the (laughs) side. Yeah. So tell me the things that you learned that, that you were able to bring into your work, your future work as a filmmaker that you did observe on set.
2: Yeah, well, and this especially applies with Satanic Panic since I was really having to re- think back to my comedy days. Yeah. Um, so, for funny people, you know, that's obviously very based in improv comedy and also some of it's scripted, some of it's not. But watching Judd work with the actors, especially a scene where, you know, he's throwing out different jokes for them. And it's like he's the actor's coming up with some, but he's also coming up with some. And I was so fascinated. I was like, oh And my he was God. a stand up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, how does he do this? Like, he's thinking about it so fast and just calling it out. And I was just totally blown away by it. And, um, you know, that cast is incredible, working with Adam Sandler. And I got to go through a lot of um, footage of him from when he first, like, his uh, stand-up from when he was, like, 10 years old in his basement at home for his parents. Like, I got to go through all these home videos And watching that and watching sort of his career through these home movies, that obviously the movie is a lot about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And also watching Judd work with Janusz Kaminski because he shot Funny People. And I was geeking out about that more than anything else. I was like, Adam Sandler, super cool. But Janusz. Spielberg's guy. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, um, And I had just such a great time. You know, just observing but I was also babysitting on set so I didn't oh, get to do okay. as much as I could
1: an assistant does everything I do
2: everything yeah. Yeah. um but one of the editors that Judd used um ended up editing Satanic Panic so um, you know we were looking for a comedy editor and I just randomly reached out I hadn't seen him in years his name's Mike Sale and he just finished Central Intelligence and Skyscraper there those Dwayne mm-hmm. the Rock Johnson movies <laughs> yes. and I was like hey you interested in doing a movie that you know the, the you'll get paid you know for one one week of your work would be the entire budget for this movie, <laughs> uh, uh, and he said yes. He's like I'd love to do it, and he he comes from um, all comedy, but but he's also done Northern Exposure, and he had done Freddy's Nightmares, and so
1: <laughs> which I did want. exactly, yes,
2: yeah. yeah. So he started out like as an assistant on those. Um, and uh, uh he worked on garbage pail kids and wow. you know so all these like going way back and wonder years which i'm a huge fan of as well hmm. so um and i reached out and he said yes yeah, because i specifically wanted a comedy editor uh for satanic panic because i feel like it's more comedy forward actually than it is horror forward that's right. a pretty good blend and i was like this is someone that loves that knows comedy in and out but also i know loves horror and he had like every stephen king book in his Um, his uh, editing bay or editing suite at his house. I was like, you're the right person for this job.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's talk a little about horror and comedy because often horror comedies are neither funny nor scary. Mm -hmm. And, but both of them rely heavily on timing, the element of surprise and a physical response You know a comedy is working because people are laughing. You know a horror film is working because they're either screaming or gripping their seats or biting their nails. So the combination of the two, there's not a whole lot of philosophical difference between them in that that technical uh, side. What are some of your favorite horror comedies?
2: Oh, man. So for, I mean... In general, like I love uh, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. That's what I've I, seen
1: that more than any other movie. Yeah. God, it's that just, and Hard Days Night.
2: Ah, yeah. uh, uh, Beatles are my favorite band of all time. There you go. Um, but uh, yeah, Abbott and Costello. Remember, my dad showed me that Dracula. Bela Lugosi's Dracula is my favorite Universal monster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the only other time Bela Lugosi played Dracula was in that was in that movie. Right. Um, and I've always loved Abbott and Costello. So seeing that I was like this is amazing and uh so that's a big one um Evil Dead 2 hmm. uh Society mm-hmm. um <laughs> so.
1: Brian Usna doesn't get enough props for that movie. I know yeah.
2: and we have an homage to Society at the end of Satanic Panic mm-hmm. too so um but also you know Sam Raimi there's a lot of stuff from Evil the original Evil Dead which I found to be really scary when I first saw it mm-hmm. um Drag Me to Hell I think he Sam Raimi does such a good job of blending um horror and comedy yeah it's not together. a standard
1: kind of comedy either mm-hmm. it it goes so outrageously over the top that it's
2: hilarious yeah yeah, yeah. and more modern movies Jennifer's Body because you have this mm. like Diablo Cody's writing uh, which is so quick and witty and yeah. funny and, and Karen Kusama really oh,
1: knows how to do it
2: exactly so that was probably that's probably the biggest influence tonally for Satanic Panic is Jennifer's Body
1: hmm Well, let's go back to that change from the world of comedy into Mm -hmm. suddenly you are the biggest you're working with the biggest name in contemporary horror films, Jason Blum. Yeah. So tell me about how that transition took place.
2: Yeah. So when so, you know, working for Judd for two years, I was like, this just isn't for me. And he was basically said, well, good luck. (laughs) I don't understand those movies. I don't get any of that. But Godspeed, I can't help you. I don't know anyone in that space, but I'm sure you'll be just fine. Um, And I just had a friend reach out to me, and she said, hey, there's this guy who's looking for an assistant. I know you might be looking for a job. Um, uh, His name's Jason Blum. And I said, who is that? And I (laughs) I look him up on IMDb, and he has – there was like three credits. It was like Tooth Fairy, The Reader – and paranormal activity
1: oh there's one
2: uh-huh and i said oh <laughs> i liked that movie paranormal mm-hmm. activity was great i like obsessively watched the trailer over and over again when it first came out said, yeah.
1: so you went in in the earliest times oh yeah. yeah yeah
2: um so this would have been the end of 2010. so i ended up meeting with him and we you know also he saw my resume he's like oh she worked for ivan Rabin, she worked for Judd apatow he saw i was you know a qualified assistant um, and we bonded over Hitchcock because I have an mm. Alfred Hitchcock tattoo on my shoulder. It was the first tattoo I ever got. Mm. And, uh, we immediately started talking about Alfred Hitchcock. And Yes, um, we have mother from Psycho 4 uh, right Yes, here. exactly.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, you know, you want to, you want to give this a go? You want to try it? I said, yeah. So said, why don't you come to this screening I'm doing? I'm doing a, this little teeny screening at Sony. Why don't you bring a couple friends? I said, okay. I said, come look at, check out what we're doing. And so I go to the screening and I bring, you know, two girlfriends with me. And so one of those really small screening rooms and that seats maybe like 20, 10, 10 to 15 people, 10, mm-hmm. small one. And we sit down and it's us and Rob Zombie. Rob ah, Zombie's sitting behind me. I was okay. like, this is fucking cool. You know? <laughs> the <laughs> so, first
1: guest ever on Postmortem.
2: Oh my God. Amazing. That's yeah. It. Yeah. So, um, and I was a fan of his music and also his movies, but I said well this is cool Um, and the movie starts and it's this you know very sort of quiet at first and the shot of a light and then the shot turns and then you see Insidious come up with these wild strings like this crazy (laughs) score and I was like holy shit what is this and then you know movie finished and I thought this movie is going to be a big deal. I want to be a part of this company. Mm -hmm. So I talked to him for a few minutes afterwards. He said, so what did you think? And I said, I think this movie, I think people are going to love this movie and it's really scary and it's doing some really cool stuff. And I'd been a fan of Lynn Shays. So, um, I said, I, I want to be your assistant basically. He said, okay, here's a stack of 15 scripts. Take them home for, it was about to be Christmas break. I was leaving the next day. Read these and you'll start in January and that was January 2011, and Insidious came out in April. And then, of course, now Blumhouse is a household name. Yeah, but like... I watched the sort of empire grow with Insidious. And I think The Bay had just come out. I didn't work on that one, but that had just released. Um, Insidious and Sinister and Lords of Salem and The Purge. And he was just starting to dip his toes into TV with The River um, and Jim oh, yeah. and the Holograms. So he was trying other genres and the baby makers. But horror, once you saw what... Insidious and sinister were, you know, did. Um, he's like, yeah, this is this is the company I want to be at. So, so I was there. So you were where you belonged. Yes, yes for sure. And uh, and I were was there you for able to be
1: to participate in the making of the movies? Were you on set for these and to be able to absorb what was going on with James Wan mm-hmm. and and, and yeah. Barry and all these people?
2: Yeah. So basically. Everything that they made between the top of 2011 till Whiplash went to the Oscars. So the end of 2014, I was there for, I mean, everything that was shot in L.A., I got to go to set. I got to, I mean, Insidious 2, I was on set for some of that. So I got to watch, you know, James Wan crafting a scare, you know, Mm -hmm. which is pretty incredible. And And
1: filing away the techniques. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. like making all the mental notes. And then, you know, people coming in for meetings and telling Jason you know these are some directors you should know about um and maybe work with and you know just trying to because I was watching everything was
1: there somebody that you made a connection to that worked out that he brought in to do
2: yeah Ty West I had talked to him about Ty West who ended up doing In a Valley of Violence and and then House of the Devil was the first thing I saw A.J. Bowen in who Mm -hmm. ended up being in Satanic Panic right um and I, you know, I was like, "You should work. You should think about doing something with Eli Roth." And they ended up doing Green Inferno. Now, granted, Jason was like aware of Eli. Well, they but... also
1: did a thing in Las Vegas together, yeah. right? Tell me a little about that. You were there when that was happening.
2: Um, I, was that the? Uh, uh, it was
1: a live experience. The live it experience. Was, it, oh god, yeah, I don't think U. I was Eli and Blum.
2: Yeah, it was. I don't. I I didn't get to be a part of it. Like, it didn't in last Vegas. Long. <laughs> But and he did the Blum House of Horrors, which I got to be yeah, a part of, yeah. which I loved, and yeah. I was so bummed when. Like they just couldn't kind of they couldn't really figure out how to make that work, but I thought it was super cool.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but obviously now that they do like Universal Horror Nights is it has mm-hmm. all the Blumhouse mazes. But I got to be on set for Purge, and um, both no, just the first one, and then Insidious. I assisted Adam Robitel on in Insidious Four. That's okay. after I had left, um, but I was very clear with Jason from the start that I said, listen, like I will be your assistant until I'm ready to take the lead and, and take the, excuse me, take the leap and direct. Like I, so I'll be with you until I'm ready to do that. I don't want to be a creative, creative exec. I don't want to, you know, do development. I'm not The whole point that. was to
1: make movies.
2: Exactly. And he knew that. So I was super <clears throat> clear about it. And. Well, that's good for him too. Somebody yeah.
1: who loves and understands the process of filmmaking.
2: Yeah. And he was, you know, I was, I'm so lucky to have had such an awesome boss because you know, I, I got—I was privy to so many things that people don't get to be a part of. You know, listening in on business deals and right. you know points and back end and you know box office bonuses, like all this stuff again that you don't learn in film school. Mm-hmm. So, you and know, being some privy filmmakers to that.
1: never are privy to.
2: Right? Oh, exactly. Yeah, and so. That was, and anytime I had questions about something or why did you make this decision instead of doing this and hearing him explain it. And then when he was trying to do his deal with Universal, because they're not the only people that wanted to, you know, have a deal with him. So set, kind of figuring out that and, um, and sort of his, you know, dream for, for Blumhouse. And obviously that's been achieved. Yeah, um,
1: many times over.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> and just, and he, he was very smart about surrounding himself with, you know, really smart people and obviously right right when i was about to take take the leap and leave you know he looks at me he's like chelsea you're you're my horror guru here who who should i hire to come in here to to be the one to inform me on all the horror happenings
1: ryan turek ryan turek (laughs) and i
2: said you know ryan from shock till you drop and he's like yeah yeah i said honestly I think he, you know, if you're if you're ready, I see he's produced before. He's done the Scream documentary, and I I said you should you should really talk to him. You know him mm-hmm. from Shock to Drop, and so I said, yeah, that's a good that's a good idea. And so he ended up meeting with him. And I texted Ryan. I was like, are you in? I just put you up for something that I didn't ask you about. Is that okay?
1: <laughs> Here's a life changing job for Ryan. Yes,
2: I was yeah. like, would you leave Shock? He's like, hmm. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it was a no-brainer. And But unfortunately, we never overlapped because uh, I left at the end of 2014 and he started at the top of 2015. So right. we just missed each other. Um, but I told Jason, I'm like, you're in good hands with Ryan. Well, Jason
1: made a misinterpreted quote about female uh, directors in the horror genre. And it may have had a little bit to do about Into the Dark and, and the next step in your career, a big step as filmmakers. Tell me how... That worked out.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I know it's very not a comfortable messy. thing. No, no, no. To but talk it was a about, very... But
1: I think it's important to get some insight into this.
2: No, totally. So that all was happening when I was shooting Satanic Panic is when that that quote happened. And also, you look at the article. Oh, and... so it was
1: it was after you'd already done it was after. Uh, oh, but okay,
2: the thing is,
1: all that we destroy.
2: Yeah, all that we destroy. The thing is, is that there was no announcement for my movie. They didn't really announce the directors. Like, they didn't do a formal announcement for it. And so... Um, for the Into the Dark series. For the Into the Dark, like the directors, right. the directors yeah. of it. This you was
1: know. a hulu series that's available on hulu of of feature (laughs) films made on modest budgets by blumhouse uh for hulu
2: yeah and they're and they're all uh sort of holiday based you know there's one for a different so this was made for
1: into the dark or was it picked up and became a part of this franchise
2: so what ended up happening so after i left blumhouse and i started directing short films for crypt tv i was directing like as many as i could um, and I've directed seven short films since since leaving Blumhouse, some for Crypt, some not. But during that time uh, to survive, I was assisting more people. I was assisting a TV director and a commercial director because I hadn't, didn't know anything about those worlds. I wanted to know more. And I assisted Adam Robitel on in Insidious 4, which was the greatest experience <laughs> ever. But um, uh, I, meanwhile, I'm sending all these scripts to Blumhouse. And I'm not a writer. I just direct. And... Uh, They were scripts I was attached to, whether I developed them with friends or scripts I read that I loved. And I just asked the writer, I'm like, can I see if Blumhouse wants to make this with me? Sure. Yes. Pass, 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 pass. Like, I think I sent nine things. And then I had been working on uh, All The Way Destroy, Sean Keller and Jim Agnew, the writers were sort of writing that with me in mind. So I was working on it with them. And I had lightly mentioned the like pitched it to Ryan. I pitched him a log line. And Ryan said, where is that script? You're just mentioning this to me now? And he's like, that's what we want. We want to do that. So when the script was ready, I sent it to Ryan. He's like, this is the one. So we shot that movie, and that would have been January of last year, 2018. And we were in editorial, and I think the Hulu deal had like just happened. Like they just had figured out what they were doing, and I think the TV department either read the script or saw a cut of the movie. And they said, oh, my gosh, can we acquire this? Because it would be perfect for a Mother's Day mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes. I mean, millions of people watch Hulu. That would be awesome. I would love that. And so obviously the TV department came involved. And, you know, we're giving notes. And Hulu did as well. Um, but the movie was already shot. So there was so much I could do. Um for their notes, but they had some really good thoughts and ideas of things they wanted to, you know, have their stamp on it, which I was totally open to.
3: Right.
2: So, um, then I went to shoot Satanic Panic. And while I'm on set, there's a, we're shooting the skin sealing scene, which was one of the hardest things to shoot. And one of the longest days that we had. And afterwards I pull out my phone and I have, all these twitter messages.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I was like, what is happening? And I and then I see the 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 article and I was like, oh no. What has happened? And
1: he said exactly what?
2: And so basically I think he said that there weren't a lot of I think it was oh, there just aren't a lot of female directors or some, he just he definitely mm-hmm. misspoke <laughs> when I read yes. it. I was like, oh no. But also you read the article and the reporter was saying like everything like he couldn't remember Lee Janiak's name, and they were like, "Oh, he brought in his assistant. Then he brought in an exec. Then he called someone, and then he did." And I was like, "Oh, you had to include all that stuff." And also, Jason's <laughs> thinking about like hundred things at once. Like I right. know how he works, and I could just see this happening. I was like, "Oh no!" Um,
1: and you weren't in that seat to correct exactly.
2: I couldn't re- whisper. Yeah. Like I, you know, I knew who yeah. it was. I knew just by the description. I'm like, "Oh, he's, he means he means Lee Janiak." Like, yeah. So, um. And basically like what happened was is I was like, oh no, this is but the article was right in some ways and wrong in some ways. They have worked with women before. And right. um uh I was there when they did Catherine Hardwick's movies movie plush and uh also Karen Moncrief did the keeping hours, but both of those movies were direct to video DVD. Right. So they much have yet, like your movie. Exactly. Yes. Much like my movie. And they have yet to theatrically release a movie directed by a woman, which is obviously changing because of the craft in Black Christmas. So that's all going to not matter anymore. But right. um, the issue was, is a lot of, so the minute he said that, a lot of like AV Club and a bunch of other sites made a list of here's women Jason Blum needs to be working with. And they, women, female directors exist. Here they are. <laughs> And Take a look. Yeah, yeah. And I was included on all those lists because uh, I think people, like some of the journalists knew me, but some of them I think had looked up and saw that I was his assistant, had done all these short films, was doing, was shooting Satanic Panic.
1: Your second movie. second movie. Yeah.
2: But nobody really knew that. And right. so, you know, of course, you know, they're saying Fangoria snatched her up first and all this stuff. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, oh no. and So
1: you'd made a movie that was a Blumhouse movie. Exactly. But, uh, but nobody knew because you hadn't announced way. it. Yeah. yeah.
2: So um so I was like okay I just have to so I ended up sending out a tweet about it and um the same day all this went down was also the the premiere of Halloween. So mm-hmm. there, they there was a video taken on the red carpet where he's talking to variety and they're asking him how do you respond to this and he actually mentions me. So uh-huh. he announces the movie on this this uh interview, this brief brief interview and he says I'm I actually my my former assistant, Chelsea Stardust, I actually produced her first feature. I was like, okay. So I took that, retweeted it, and just sort of said, like, listen, not everybody knows this, but Jason made my first movie. Nobody knows because it's still being finished and we haven't announced it. And, you know, yes, they need to theatrically release something, but they are working with women, obviously, like Gigi and Sophia and like other people, other women were doing Into the Dark. And Into Um, the
1: Dark became a great uh, vehicle to release films by women uh, who maybe had not had the opportunity yet to prove themselves.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So and then I, you know, but I said how thankful I was because without him, I wouldn't be have directed for Crypt TV. and they gave me my first movie and Ryan helped me get Satanic Panic and so Blumhouse helped me so much Um, and then I did sort of a much longer I did a longer post on on Facebook about you know yes you know they are they are working with women we don't always know everything and I knew there were other deals being made with Gigi hadn't been announced yet and Mm -hmm. things like that but I said yeah theatrically still hasn't happened yet but there are some companies that aren't hiring any women writers or directors right. so he just happens to get called out because he's mm-hmm. like the household name right now and he said something and he shouldn't have even <laughs> oh right. I could just see it and I was like oh God no Jason no like and he and he, he just and he even tried to clarify I said no I've to- I totally misspoke that's not what I meant but um, too late. Yeah, yeah yeah but now of course they've sort of righted right straightened that up a little bit right. but um uh but i i try to to come to the rescue a little bit the maybe. ship has been righted yeah. the ship's been righted maybe yeah. i'll get like halloween six there ask. you Thank go you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well tell me about how uh all the uh, that we destroy came about it's a very different movie from satanic mm-hmm. panic it's very lacking in comedy, yeah. which is not a negative thing to say yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. It's an intense, dramatic, serious film. Tell me how that came about and what you were trying to do. You know what you were bringing into this. A director's personality is reflected by the director's work, mm-hmm. and so I'd love to know your how you would describe it to someone and how you approached it.
2: Yeah. So, so Sean and Jim sort of roughly pitched me the idea they're like "Well, you know we have this this idea about this female geneticist who walks in on her son murdering a girl and to protect her reputation and keep him from going to jail she decides to clone this girl over and over again from him for him to kill as a form of therapy i was like what yes (laughs) i would love that and i'm a big black mirror fan i felt very black mirror to me yeah and uh i said that's awesome let's talk about it, and uh, they, you know, ended up, they wrote the script, and I sort of gave my notes here and there, but I told them, I said, what this is to me is, um, you know, I sort of call it my psycho. It's sort of my love letter to Psycho, and we need to talk about Kevin, because it's sort of like those two movies. Oh, yeah, that's a wonderful event. Yeah. Tilda, And in this Black Mirror world, but what I also loved about it is it explores, like, the the relationship of this parent and child, but I'm always fascinated in movies and horror movies, um, specifically with how far a mother will go for her child. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any children. So that really, that just really fascinates me. So I told them, I was like, these are the three movies I want to look at Cujo. And what like D Wallace is willing to take on this rabid dog to save her child?
1: An amazingly emotional, powerful yes. horror. Film.
2: And so I think it's I actually think it's really underrated. I don't think enough people talk yeah, about I think it's how amazing it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Poltergeist. Mm. that joe beth williams will go to another dimension for her kid i was on the set for that i was a publicist on poltergeist i mean and is also one of my favorite movies it's so
1: human (sighs) you know the the spielberg thing that he brings into it is the humanity
2: the heart the heart yeah um uh, and the exorcist Mm. so you know she's willing to all
1: very emotionally based yes dark places to go
2: yes and i just the exorcist i wasn't like, yeah, what was happening to Reagan was scary and, and gross. But but her mother yeah. was so helpless and didn't know what to do. And, like, the te- you know, she's putting her kid through these tests because she just doesn't know what to do. And she's just willing to entertain the idea of an exorcism if that will save her child. And I just thought that was so fascinating. And so for in All That We Destroy, I wanted to tackle nature versus nurture. I wanted to look at, okay, this woman to save her son she's going to clone these these this girl over and over this woman over and over for her for him to kill and if she looks at it under a scientific lens then it's not murder so like mm. what she's doing to justify it in her mind repeatedly They're, repeatedly over and over yeah. again well if it's science it's baby you know she talks about like hey form a therapy you can go to college like may, you think about um, what if if this gets to be used in more of a widespread way how crazy mm-hmm. that is Um, But she's like, no, I'm justifying it to make him functional in the real world. And in the nature versus nurture of it, you know, this is if you haven't seen the movie, you should pause right now and go watch it. But
1: please do. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, At the end of the movie, when he's coming out of that goo, it's sort of the question of will this be the son she always wanted or is that? Like serial killer in his DNA and will Mm. he just keep doing the same thing again so and that's what I wanted people to sort of think about and take away from from trying to
1: start over in the hopes that you can correct something that maybe is part of nature
2: yeah exactly Mm. which I was always like really fascinated with so exploring all those themes um and then of course like figuring out another thing is like the actors to cast for these roles and I had been a huge fan of Israel Broussard from the Happy Death Day movies, but he's never played a role like that. He's right. always like the cute best friend or the right. boyfriend. Yeah. And, but I wanted someone like Norman Bates because you sort of can't help but like Anthony Perkins. He's so likable and so cute. And you know, you immediately sort of put your, let your guard down a little bit. And I wanted mm-hmm. that out of Israel. So um, I don't think he had seen The Shining um, yet, <laughs> or excuse me, The Shining, excuse me. He had not seen Psycho yet. Right. And so I said, hey, you, you you're welcome to watch it I don't want you to mimic anything Anthony Perkins does but I just want you to see how likable he is in it and um and he watched it he's like I really liked that movie I was like yeah it's a fucking masterpiece that's Um, good (laughs) that he liked one of the greats he's like this is awesome so um but honestly like that and I remember talking to Chris Landon who directed uh Happy Death Day about it and he's like is his performance is so haunting and scary and just you just aren't used to seeing him Mm -hmm. like that and he thought he like really dug it he's like yeah i said that's and i know even israel you know was struggling he's like i i just can't ever picture myself ever doing this to someone i was like well that's good you're playing a character so that's okay you know but and it's what he has to do with aurora perinow who plays ashley um who i knew from gem and the holograms another blumhouse alum (laughs) um you know those scenes of of him killing her and killing different iterations of her, whether she's a human or clone number four or clone number five, were intense and and well, they're pretty brutal. Yeah, they're and I wanted brutal. to I wanted to alienate some of my audience with that. I was like, <laughs> yes. I want people to see this and be like, I don't know if I can watch this. Well, you want it to hurt. I want it to hurt yeah. exactly. And but they took such good care of each other, and we had safe words and everything like that because I definitely you know didn't want anyone to get hurt, but knowing like where they what they were pulling from like if you're if your actor ever gives you insight as to like this is what i've experienced and i'm this is what i'm pulling from to get here emotionally you know if they let you in on that as a director from a moral standpoint you're like how long can i let this person live in this headspace Mm -hmm. and what is that going to do to them when they go home or like for them to fully like shed that or having to live through something again that's what they're pulling from to get you know so it's like okay how many how many takes can i you know put uh put this act act actor through you know i'm not pulling a kubrick where i'm doing like 70 fucking takes (laughs) of something um i also don't have time to do that but so that was you know
1: scatman crothers told me about the 80 takes that kubrick would do he wrote a little song about it ridiculous and did it on my z channel show
2: yeah uh but he's an auteur mick right that's right. yeah um I uh, <laughs> love Kubrick he's great um but uh uh you know I just you know had to had to think about all that stuff and Samantha Mathis I, I've been a huge fan yeah. of hers yeah. um for so long so working with her was incredible and then Frank Whaley was my first choice for that role too so um it was such a dream cast and Dora Madison I was a huge fan of Friday Night Lights as well so mm-hmm. You know, all these people that, whose work I had sort of watched and getting to work with them. And so that was very similar in Satanic Panic, too. But Destroy was, um, and that was a, you know, tough shoot. It was 15 days. Yeah. Um, but luckily, I got to shoot in L.A., which was awesome. And I got to go home in my own bed every At night. At a
1: certain budgetary point, it's worth it to stay home, which <laughs> we did on Nightmare Cinema, because then you don't have to travel anybody. You don't have to put them up. All of that stuff. Yep. So, uh, you know, it, it becomes practical. And yeah. here is where you have the deepest pool of talent in yeah. Los Angeles, anywhere in the world. It's here Yeah. in filmmaking.
2: And, I, yeah, I loved shooting here. I.
1: Uh... Now, you did a 180-degree turn going into <laughs> Satanic Panic. So tell me how you prepared for that change. You are a huge horror fan. You'd had a, a toe dipped into the comedy world when you were working for Judge, uh, Judd Apatow. Yeah. So... How did you prepare for this total change of pace?
2: Yeah, so when I got so you know, a friend, an assistant friend had slipped me the script, and I was like, "This is so insane and crazy and wild," and I can't wait to see like who makes this. And I knew I knew Ted Gagan's work because he and. Yeah. Grady did the story together. Ted's and,
1: great, and Grady's books are fantastic—Horror oh, Store and my I best know. friend. Uh, yeah, my best friend's Exorcism. Ex, so, exorcism, and that's yeah, yeah,
2: that's how I knew Grady is. I, yeah. I, um, I don't think I had seen Mohawk yet when I read Satanic Panic, but
1: written by Grady and directed by Ted. Exactly,
2: yeah. yeah, and but I had read my best friend's Exorcism, which was one of my favorite recent. I have a horror book club, and we read Stephen King. We're called the Losers Book Club. We read Stephen <laughs> King every other month, and then the month. Months in between, we read new horror or newer horror,
1: and this mo- book is not what you expect from that title. Uh, it is, and it isn't. It
2: is, and it isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and also Paperbacks from Hell and Horror Store, and um, and so I thought, oh my gosh, like this script's awesome. Then I went and shot All That We Destroy, and then All That We Destroy. They kind of put post production on hold because it wasn't coming out till May of 2019. Hmm. So. Um, I was like, okay, guess I'm going to wait around for a little bit until they want to f- like, do finishing on the movie. Um, and then my reps reached out and they said, hey, this script came across our desk for your consideration Satanic Panic. I said, I know this script. I love yes. this script. And they said, Fangoria is involved. They're attached to it and they're interested in you. Um, we love
1: Fangoria.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, and I, th- I think Fango had done some homework. I think they had reached out to Ryan and said, you know, who, who would you recommend for this? And right. he mentioned Destroy, and I think they saw it. But I just got on the phone with Dallas and Amanda at Fango and just pitched the shit out of the movie. I was like, this is my vision. And these are, you know, there were a couple things I wanted to change in the script. And I said, hopefully that's okay. And I didn't know Grady. So I, uh-huh. you know, Destroy, I got to work with the writers. They were on set. But I wasn't sure, like, oh, God, do I give Grady Hendricks notes? Like, I was really right. kind of, like, nervous he's about established.
1: that. established. Yeah,
3: yeah. He's not. Uh,
2: yeah. I was like, who, you know. And so... Um, so I, you know, pitched my vision and then I ended up going home for a little bit. Uh, I was like right leading into like 4th of July or something. And while I was home, uh, uh, I reached out to Adam Goldworm, who I knew from my internship days and, and Adam, um, reps Grady. And so I said, Hey Adam, like I, you know, anything I can do. And so I sent, um, I said, let me let me send you some more stuff to Ford Defango to because I don't think I had Dallas or Amanda's email at that mm-hmm. point. So I wrote up a huge email, um, and I pulled stills from Jennifer's body and dragged me to hell and sort of showed what I wanted my vision, the tone of the movie to be. And I pulled song references and I did this huge pitch packet and i had my dp read it and we talked about you know mm-hmm. references and you know we're like we want to use a lot of the 50 millimeter the dot the donnie sutherland lens i call it like <laughs> and, you know you know i just pitched my vision and and even in in more depth and he forwarded it along and then they ended, i got back home from to la from vacation and they said the job is yours and we immediately started casting no downtime. Wow. they like got the deal done in less than a week which never happens but right. um
1: great cast
2: yeah, I love that cast. I'm so lucky. It's like uh, embarrassment of riches, pun intended. But yes. um, yeah, and and like, there's Blumhouse alum with Ruby Modine, another one, and, and she was the first one I cast. And Haley Griffith was off a of self-tape, which is hmm. crazy because she's in New York, and a lot of producers won't let you cast someone who hasn't done at least one or two features. She right. had done none. Yeah. And I was really happy I got to be the, the one to give her that chance. Um,
1: and she killed it. She
2: crushed it, right? Like, so did such a good job. But the movie
1: is funny and uh, horror comedies rarely are. And yeah, comedy that's not funny is just painful and embarrassing.
2: Oh, it's yeah. It just hurts. But (laughs) the
1: timing and the editing and the performances and just the interaction works so well for someone who's really doing comedy for the first time. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, and it's, it's a lot of it's, it's a mix of like Grady Hendrix's words. And I also like worked, met all, like I break down the script and I had worked a bunch with Grady on everything. And we talked through each scene. I was like, okay, this is what's on the page, but I want to talk about what, you know, let's go a little bit deeper. And let, what is what does this really mean? And really digging into Sam's backstory and Judy's backstory. And um, so then I went to the actors and you know, said this is everything because we had 18 days to shoot Satanic Panic. Mm-hmm. It was three six-day weeks wow. and two of which were night shoots. So I didn't, I knew we weren't going to have a lot of time on set to like work workshop scenes and so uh, I had to just talk to everybody ahead of time and we did a couple, I got to do a rehearsal with uh, Sam and Judy, with Ruby and Haley um, you know, in their hotel room for the skin ceiling scene because oh, I yeah. said this one I really want to talk through what's going on you know, so you both know and, and then you know I wanted the actors to just once they knew my intentions for everything. Then we get on set and it's just little adjustments here and there. And honestly, like they, kind of made my job easy because Rebecca's done comedy, Jerry's done comedy, Arden's right. done comedy. Ruby and Rebecca has.
1: and Jerry, you're married. Yep, <laughs> yes, and they're married in real helps. life. Yeah, and
2: then, you know, their scene. I only had one day. One day, I think, on set, Jerry O'Connell with Jerry. Yeah, with Jerry uh, O'Connell. Romain. Yeah, and though Jerry was on set a lot because they were just I don't I don't know if he was working on anything at the time, so he was just sort of hanging out with right. Rebecca. He's like, yeah, we might as well hang out together. Um, and that scene was really fun, and to watch <laughs> yes. them sort of work together. And of course, the the scene of the the throat fisting, as Jerry calls it, was yeah, really fun. Yeah. And nothing. <laughs> and Rebecca hadn't done gore. She hadn't done horror before or gore. And I remember when I was skyping with her. Um, she was saying she loved Fangoria. She loves horror. She's like, I would rent everything. She talked about it at the Q&A that she'd rent everything on the wall in the horror section. And and so I was so excited to be the first time you know yeah. doing gore and, and horror.
1: Well, and this is a big movie for practical effects. Oh, uh, yeah. The horror fans love practical effects. And so do the actors because you're interacting with something rather than a green tennis ball on a stick.
2: Yep, exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. And I think it really can can heighten their performance. There's a lot more they can do with that. And yeah, there's so many practical effects, and you know,
1: in 18 days, (laughs) 18
2: days, and it's not easy. Like, and everything, you know, you're it takes time and shooting it and making sure like practical effects are the Fango brand and making sure take two and
1: three, dude, uh, (laughs) kill me now. I know, no, exactly.
2: So but and and then the the team having to make things that you've never seen before mm-hmm. like the soul sack the soul bake <laughs> we would call it on set yeah. that and the, the tree which this so for me satanic panic is my homage to wizard of oz there's a lot of connections to wizard of oz in the movie um the tree being one of them and Haley wears red converse and she's going uh, into this another world another world and she meets her scarecrow who's judy and danica's the wicked witch of the west and the bunny is toto <laughs> and all she wants to do is go home and there's the a fussy button yeah yeah Um, I could write a dissertation about that in Wizard of Oz, but, um, but the actors, I mean, and then having horror, you know, royalty, quote unquote, obviously Jerry has done horror before, but AJ and Jeff Daniel Phillips and Jordan Ladd and, um, and Clark Wolf and Whitney Moore who are in the horror community. So, um, and getting just to work with all these people who I'd seen before and then, you know, working together with them and having Jerry O'Connell introduce me to his friend as, Hey guys, come meet my boss. Come to my boss tells you Stardust, I was like, "That's, That's me." Cool. Yeah.
1: Well, what's next? I mean, we've talked for an hour and yeah. it's gone by like lightning. Oh my goodness, so, yeah. So we need to wrap it up a little, and I'd love to know what's next in store for you.
2: Yeah, uh, great question. So, um, well, so we
1: start with a great one and we end with a great one, right? Yes, right, okay. right, right.
2: So um, we, uh, Satanic Panics, obviously. Comes out September 6th, theatrical, digital HD, VOD. And as the director, you're kind of with the movie until everything's out. So we'll have the Blu ray come out. Um, There's talks of vinyl. There's talks of a fun VHS. There's, you know, (laughs) so we'll see what what comes out. But um, so I'm basically with that. We're still doing a ton of festivals. Um, I think we have eight or 10 more to go, even in some into 2020 that are in Europe. Um, And so now my reps are getting a lot of just starting to get, you know, submissions for open directing assignments. There's a couple of things I'm chasing. I'm trying to get the rights to a couple things. Um, but uh I am attached to a movie that we're just starting casting, which I can tell you about offline. But um <laughs> okay. there cuz there's no announcement yet and I'm I'm attached to a couple different things that obviously in LA you you're in Hollywood, you're trying you have multiple eggs in multiple baskets because right. you never know what's going to happen first. So Always have a lot of things going on. Um, and well, you're uh, ready we'll to see. make an omelet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my okay. God. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Love that. Yeah.
1: Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us on Postmortem and look forward to the next thing uh, on your skillet.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to Producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, mickgarrisinterviews.com.
0: Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.